Well, we have the wonderful privilege of studying God's Word, so I'd like for you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to 2 John. 2 John, and today we are looking at verses 8 through 13, which as you can see as you turn there, that will take us to the end of the book. And I'm really hesitant to say that we'll finish it today, because the last time I did that with First Peter, we didn't finish, but we'll just see how the Spirit of God leads us and as we look at this this morning. We've had a rich time studying this letter for the last couple of weeks, and now we're coming to the end of it. As we look at this again, I remind you that verses 8 through 11 continues the concern John had about the deceivers. He identifies in verse 7. I shared with you that these deceivers are known as the Gnostics, a group of false teachers that were propagating their heresy. And verses 12 and 13 is basically the remaining two verses where John states a couple personal things as he closes out this letter. You should have your place now. Let's go ahead and look at verse 8 as I read verses 8 through 13. Watch yourselves, that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, so that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. We live in a world today that is becoming more and more hostile to Christ. In an article entitled, Is Christianity to Blame for Everything Bad in the World?, Jerry Newcomb writes this. Earlier this month in Philadelphia, there was the 17th annual White Privilege Conference, which a friend described as a liberal confad devoted to self-denial. One of the speakers, Paul Kival, blamed Christianity for everything bad in the world. Kival is the co-founder of the Oakland Men's Project and founder of the Challenging Christian Leadership Project. So everything bad comes from Christianity, writes Newcomb. Was Kival born in a hospital or treated in one? Kival can thank Jesus Christ who inspired his followers to create such an institution. St. Basil of Caesarea, who lived in the 4th century, is credited with creating the first hospital in the history of the world. Even to this day, many hospitals bear Christian names as they were founded to show forth Christian love. 
He says, I was born in St. Francis Hospital, as in St. Francis of Assisi. Speaking of St. Francis, he is the namesake of the city across the bridge from Oakland, San Francisco. Father Juniper Saro of the 18th century created a network of 21 Catholic missions, essentially a one-day horseback ride away from each other from San Diego to Sonoma, essentially establishing California cities. Did Kaibel go to school? Education for the elite has always existed. Education for the masses was a gift of Christianity to the world. This is especially true after the Reformation. The reformers knew for their message to stick, people would have to read the Bible for themselves. The first law for education in America was the Old Deluder Satan Act uh, in Boston of 1642. The goal was to teach boys and girls how to read for themselves so that they could read the Bible, thus thwarting the attempts of that old deluder Satan who works hard to keep people from reading God's Word. He is quite effective in our times, but not primarily through illiteracy. Did Kyle go to college? Again, we thank the Christian church for that. Scholars say the university was created by the church during the Middle Ages around 1200, with the University of Paris being the prototype. One of the main goals was to reconcile Christian theology with the newly rediscovered teachings of Aristotle. Most of the greatest universities the world had ever founded were by Christians and for Christian purposes, like Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, Yale, Princeton. Kaibo blames Christianity for the wars in the Middle East. It's all the missionaries' fault. Huh? I don't suppose Islam has anything to do with the wars in the Middle East? Enough said. Did Kaibel use a microphone to blast the Christian church? Did he have a light bulb by which he could see his speech? Christianity played a major role in the development of modern science. While the ancient Greeks helped pave the way, modern science was born in the late Middle Ages by Christian experimenters who were, in the words of Johann Kepler, thinking God's thoughts after him. They believed a rational God had created a rational universe, and it was their role, said Kepler, as priest of the Most High God to discover those laws. As D. James Kennedy and I pointed out in our book, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born?, the founders of all the major branches of science were professed believers in Jesus. Another irony about this story can be seen in one of the headlines about this story. Kyle says Christian leadership is the reason for the world's problems. Presumably, a conference dumping on white privilege might pay homage to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the greatest of the civil rights champions. King was the president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. The church was the key launching pad for the whole civil rights movement, King was a Baptist minister. The classic I Have a Dream speech by King was essentially a sermon by a Baptist minister in which he quotes Isaiah. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low. In short, the humble shall be exalted and the proud shall be humiliated. 
Who is out there feeding many of the down and out of our society? The Christian church, through one agency or another, they are showing the love of Jesus in action. One thing Kybel did say is correct. Christianity does not teach that the earth is to be worshipped. To the contrary, the creator of the earth is alone to be worshipped. But humans are stewards of the earth, not to abuse it, but to subdue the earth. Kaiba wants a world without Christian influence. Humanity has done that before. It was called the Soviet Union. It was called Pol Pot's Cambodia. They brought hell on earth. And to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, if Jesus had never come, it would be always winter but never Christmas. The sad reality of this article is that many more people like Paul Kival feel the same way. But the Bible teaches that the bad things that we see and experience in the world is because of sin. When Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, sin entered them and it entered the world in which they lived. It says in Genesis 6, 5, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. And he did that by flooding the earth with water. But he saved eight people on an ark. Even though eight people were saved from God's judgment, that did not wipe out sin. Sin was present in the new world. In fact, we hear the Apostle Paul say this in Romans chapter 3 and verses 10 and following. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So the evil that you and I see today in the world is driven by man's depravity and by Satan, who has blinded men's eyes from the gospel. In fact, Satan's work is to prevent people from turning to the biblical Jesus. So he sends his ministers to do his bidding by preaching another gospel. That's why there are people who think Jesus was just a good person or a good teacher or even a prophet, but not God in human flesh. And as we look at 2 John, you know, John shared his concern about these many deceivers who have gone out into the world, according to verse 7. And now as we look at verses 8 through 11, 
We're going to learn what he says about discerning who they are. What does he tell us about these deceivers? And what should you do first in identifying them? You can see the title on the screen behind me, How to Discern False Teachers. And beloved, you and I need discernment. John says that first, you need to do this by watching yourselves. Look at verse 8. He says, watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. The first thing you need to do is watch yourself. Don't be misled by them. Remember that they are deceivers and antichrists, according to verse 7, who have wandered from the truth. And this has led them out of the church and into the world. John made reference to that in his first letter, 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. You know, many times we look over someone who leaves the church and we think, well, maybe they went to another church, but in some cases they don't go to another church, they just leave. And they never go back to church and we think, Oh my goodness, what has happened here? Did they lose their salvation? Let's don't ask a question like that. Let's ask it this way. Did they have it to begin with? Are they true followers of Christ? Or are they false believers? Because what John tells us right here, that these were false believers. 1 John 4, 5 says that they are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. And he says, he who is not of God doesn't listen to us. And as we said, not all of them leave the church. Some of them stay. And they look for opportunities by which they can propagate their heresy. Acts 20 and verse 30, Paul said, From among your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. So you have to watch yourself. What was the main heresy? Well, the main heresy is back in verse 7. They denied the incarnation. He says in verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. They are liars. And that's what John says. Scripture says they're liars. They're deceivers. They're false teachers. They're false prophets. They're dangerous. But you've got to watch yourself. And as I keep repeating that phrase about watching yourself, I want you to think for just a moment, how do you watch yourself in light of false teachers? Why does he say it that way? It, it would make more sense to watch them. Well, you do need to watch them too, but it starts with watching yourself. John said in 1 John 2.22, Who is the liar 
But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah, the anointed one, this is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. So when you watch yourself, you have to make sure you're not sympathetic to them. These heretics were traveling from church to church, taking advantage of Christian hospitality as they spread their lies. And once they were taken in, they would spread their false teaching about Jesus. It's even possible that the lady to whom John addressed may have inadvertently or unwisely shown them hospitality. If you remember, 2nd and 3rd John are about the subject of hospitality. Preachers would travel from city to city, and the Christians were urged to put them up as they traveled. But here John is cautioning her, as well as all believers, and even as we read this today, it's a caution to us against participating in a false teacher's evil deeds by showing them hospitality. Years ago, I would have Jehovah's Witnesses visit my house. They don't now. I don't live in a place where they can get to me. Praise God. But they used to come to my house when I lived out here. And they'd knock on your door. and You'd always be prepared because you could see them. They would park and walk. And they'd carry their little satchels. And Every now and then you'd have a Mormon visit you and you could identify them as well because they're in their white shirts, ties, and riding their bicycles. So they were easy to spot. Also, But not everyone is easy to spot just by the way they dress or by the way they appear at your door. And I can't tell you how many times that I pulled an Archie Bunker on them. You know what that means? Well, those of you who don't know Archie Bunker, Archie Bunker was a bigot, a very bad man. And what he would do when somebody came to the door he didn't want to speak to, he would just slam the door and walk away. That might sound very harsh, but folks, that is exactly what this text is telling you to do. You have to be very cautious with a false teacher. And if you're going to talk to them, you need to make sure you're the one controlling the conversation. And you want to make sure that you are prepared to talk to them. Otherwise, don't. Jesus said... The blind will lead the blind, and both of them will fall into the ditch. Leave them alone. But he does say, watch yourself. You've got to start with your own self. And what does he mean by watch yourself? I keep saying this. Well, let me just give you some understanding of this. I'll give you several terms. Watch carefully. Be vigilant. Be on the lookout. And with the use of the present tense in this verb, it's something that they needed always to do. You need to always watch yourself. You need to always be vigilant. You need to be always careful when it comes to false teachers. I don't think most churches or most Christians are careful with that. TBN is a very popular channel 
And many believers turn that channel on in their homes, and I know that because they tell me that. And when they tell me that, I'm really shocked to hear what they say after that, which is, I support them. I send them money. I'm very careful at what I say next. Sometimes I may hand them a book and say, would you be interested in reading this book or listening to this tape or CD or downloading this CD? I just showed my age when I said tape. And sometimes they will. And I've, I've had a brother at the time who was involved in some of that, and I handed him a book by Hank Hanegraaff called Christianity in Crisis. And he read the book. And he handed it back to me and said, I'm, I'm leaving that church. I don't want a part of all of that. I couldn't believe what I was reading. Christianity in Crisis is dealing with the word faith movement. And it documents what these TBN preachers are saying. In verbatim quotes. And if you're not interested in reading the quotes, guess what's included with the book? Links and a CD that gives you the audio of them saying it. But I find it very amazing that people can say things and then come back and deny saying it, even though we have a recording of it. That's exactly what politicians do. They forget that we're in a digital age where just about everything is recorded. And people today, they're more interested in getting a certain number of hits on YouTube, so they will film a mugging or a rape or something like that and not help the person. They'll film it so they can put it up on their YouTube channel and get all their hits. That's very callous. That shows the darkness of the heart right there. Put your phone down and help the person. But you need to be careful. You need to be vigilant. And you need to always do this. And let me show you how this word is translated in other places. Over in Mark 13:9, it's translated, Be on your guard. It's translated in Ephesians 5.15 to be careful. It's translated in Philippians 3.2 to beware. So they needed to beware by being careful how they responded. They needed to be on their guard. And, and Jesus even said it this way, like in Matthew 24.4, See to it that no one misleads you. See, we're getting closer now to why he's saying watch yourself. You need to make sure no one misleads you. How are you going to do that? There's only one way I know how to do that. Saturate yourself with this. You know, I don't have to go out and study heresy. All I need to do is study the truth. If I study the truth, then anything that's not the truth is heresy, and that will be widely known. And, and I'll tell you just how that worked out for me. Years ago, in fact, it was my first year as a believer. I was involved with a few men, and we were doing a discipleship class. Our pastor was teaching us, and we'd meet once a week. But we hung out all the time, so it was, it was a little bit more than just a, a get-together. But we would meet, study the Bible, and things like that. And, and I remember one day I was over at one of my friend's house, and uh, there were two guys over there talking to his grandmother. And I met them and didn't know who they were. Notice they did have a little sticker on, not a sticker, but a little pin on their jacket. And it said, Elder So-and-So. I didn't know anything about it. They were Mormons, by the way. 
I didn't know it. And I did know something about Mormons at the time. And so as we're talking, he recounts a story in the Bible. And this is what gave him away. When he recounted that story, he didn't even say it right. He didn't even refer to it correctly. I mean, he was totally off in what he was sharing. And I don't even remember everything that I said, but I remember understanding that they were Mormons. And I was visiting my friend's house, and I ran those two guys off from my friend's house and his grandmother because I was thinking... You know, your grandmother doesn't need to hear them. They don't need to listen to them. She needs to hear the truth, not, not heresy. And they left. And that was my first experience with Mormons. I had another time when I was experiencing with Jehovah's Witnesses. And as I told you earlier, that they would come and knock on my door and visit us and try to get us to buy into their heresy. And sometimes I would talk to them and sometimes I would not. And I remember an account that I was hearing of another person. He was a Greek professor in a seminary. And a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses came up to his house. He was outside working in the yard. He was on a shovel. He was dirty, stinky in the whole nine yards. And they came up talking to him. And and, uh, they were quoting Greek to him. And they didn't know that he was a Greek professor at the local seminary. He said, hold on just a minute. He walked inside, grabbed his Greek New Testament, came back out, handed it to him upside down. And said, here, read this. And they said, well, you know, yours doesn't read like ours. But you didn't even have enough sense to know it was upside down. If you had any kind of knowledge of Greek, you would know it was upside down. But they claim to know what the scriptures believe and teach. But they don't. And they do what Satan does give you half-truths. And those half-truths are what suck you in. Jesus said in Mark 13, 6, Many will come in my name, saying, I am He, and will mislead many. And in that day, and that's the time speaking of the end, that there will be false Christs that will rise up saying, I'm the Messiah. I am Jesus. There's people that do that today, and there's always been people that's done that, saying that they are Jesus. And even if you were questioning whether they were the real Jesus, and you study their life, and you study what they're saying, you find out, well, if you were the real Jesus, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing, and you wouldn't be teaching what you're teaching, because what you're teaching is just some, something really far out, out there. See, Hybert says here, John lays upon them the standing duty to place themselves under a continuous guard. Issued out without any connecting particle, the command is solemn, is forceful. While not unmindful of God's care for his own, John reminds them of their personal duty to be watchful, to keep an eye on themselves. And this point can't be overemphasized. You got to look at yourself before you can look at somebody else. And that's really what Matthew 7 talks about. Because in Matthew 7, it says, Judge not, lest you be judged. And many times it gets thrown back at you when you're talking to somebody about their sin and they're saying, you know, you're not supposed to be judging. The Bible says, don't judge. See, Matthew 7, 1. Judge not and you should not be judged. And when I've heard that before, I'd always say, why don't you read the rest? Because the rest of the passage says, before you could get the speck out of your brother's eye, you've got to get the beam out of your own eye. 
So before you can judge anybody else or discriminate anybody else or discern, you've got to do it to yourself. And anytime you have any involvement with someone else in their life and trying to help them when they sin, because Matthew 18 says if you see a brother or sister in sin, you need to go to them privately. But before you can do any of that, you've got to look at yourself. You have to humble yourself. You have to look at yourself. You have to look to make sure and realize that you too could be tempted just like they are. But it's got to start right there. What do you believe about the Bible? Is what you believe correct? Do you even know what you believe? I find that very interesting because I, in my years as a believer, have come across other believers that don't even know what they believe. And they've been in the church longer than me. And I've always found that disturbing, to say the least. You and I must know what the Bible teaches. We have to. How can we be committed to the teachings of this book if we don't know what those teachings are? Or we only know a few of them. Or we're like some people that paint their nursery and they put Noah's Ark in there and they put this cute little boat and these animals up there smiling and, you know, you got the giraffe with his head sticking out of the top of the box. And No, if you understood what the Bible taught about the flood and about the ark, you wouldn't have put that on your child's wall. Because that ark was an ark of salvation in a time of judgment. That ark represented the judgment of the world as well as the salvation that was offered. And out of all the people in the world, only eight people saved? That shows you the times. You know, Scripture tells us there's many things that we need to be watchful about. So when you're watching yourself, uh, include this to your list. For example, lusting after the opposite sex. It says, Matthew 5, 28, But I say to you that everyone who looks, and that's the word for watch, who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in, in his heart. So you've got to look to yourself. Make sure you're not doing that. Secondly, as I mentioned, you've got to look at the speck in your brother's eye before you could first look, you know, take it or deal with it. You've got to first deal with your own. Third, Luke 12, 15 says you've got to look at all forms of greed, it says, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Or another thing you need to watch for is self-righteousness. Matthew 6, 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Or you got to look out or watch yourself about those who influence you, but those that are false teachers. Jesus said, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And that was used metaphorically to speak of their influence. Because leaven influences now, John says, if you're not willing to do this, what's the consequences? 
He says, watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Their lack of discernment would cause them to lose their reward. The idea of lose means to fail, to maintain. The idea of accomplished has the idea of putting something into effect entirely or thoroughly. So you can read it back this way. Guard yourself. That, and the word that is a henna purpose clause in Greek, which means for the purpose of, here's why you need to guard yourself. For the purpose of not failing to keep or to maintain what we have put into effect or have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. You know, you can lose your reward. I know you're probably thinking like me, just to be in heaven is reward enough. And in a way, I I would agree with that. But then to have a reward on top of that, that's really gracious of the Lord to do that. But rewards, they're based upon several things. Let me have you to turn to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. And they are mentioned there, but as they're mentioned there, it's, it's used by different terms. 1 Corinthians 3, and look at verse 12. He says, Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as so through fire. The idea here is, what are you building your life on? What's the foundation? Let's put it another way. What's your motive? Why are you doing what you do? Why did you come to church today? What was your motive for coming today? Some people don't come to worship God, though they may use that in their reasoning, but the reality is that's not really why they're there. But you have to answer that question. Why are you doing what you do? Why do you talk to people about the Lord? Why do you use a spiritual gift? Why do you teach a class? Why do you go to this study? Why do you... Again, you fill in the blank. And the idea of gold and silver and precious stones, that's talking about the quality of the materials. And it's talking about a dedication to spiritual service. When he talks about wood, hay, and straw, that's referring to those inferior materials, implying a shallow activity that has no eternal value. But what does he say about all of that? There's going to be a test to find out what the quality is of each person's work. What did you build on? I have to say that for myself too. Over in Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Again, talking about motive. 
2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Again, it's talking about your motive. That's not talking about your sin. That took place at the cross. The judgment on your sin occurred at the cross. This is not a judgment for sin. This is before the Bema Seat. The Bema Seat was a place where they would receive or not receive rewards. It was also the place where Jesus was examined. But it was used in the athletic games. And once those games were finished, they would appear before the Bema Seat and they would receive their wreaths, their, their crowns. See, this is referring to the actions that happened during your time on earth, during your earthly ministry. And whether it's good or bad, that's comparing worthwhile. That's comparing what is valuable and what is useless. Is what you've done valuable? It will stand the test of fire? Or is what you have done useless and it will burn up? And you won't have a reward. His point was that was not that believers should not enjoy certain wholesome or earthly things, but that they would should glorify God in them and spend most of their time with things that have eternal value. So rewards are based upon motives. Rewards are also based upon faithfully enduring while you're suffering persecution. Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes end this way. Verse 10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're faithful. You're faithfully living Christ, living the gospel, preaching the gospel. And you're being persecuted for that, but you're enduring through that. He says, rejoice. Your reward's great. God hasn't forgotten about you. God sees what you're going through. Like it says in Hebrews, He has not forgotten your labor of love that you've shown toward His name. But here, the rewards are based upon our entertainment of heresy. If you are entertaining false teaching, you will lose your reward. And I'll tell you what, if you're entertaining false teaching, you will be one of the most confused persons. You'll be all over the place. In fact, I would be so bold to say this. Nowhere in the Scripture are we told to listen to heresy. In fact, we are told in 1 Thessalonians 5.22 to abstain from every form of evil. And the context of that verse is talking about heresy. Abstain from every form of evil. Here's another verse, Hebrews 13.9. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. And the idea of carried away, it means to be driven off course. In fact, it's translated carried along in Jude verse 12, referring to the false teachers who are metaphorically swept along or misled like, a, like wind in a sail. Or 
It's being like an immature believer who is carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming, Ephesians 4.14. And the verb here is passive, meaning that something else is causing them to be carried along. And Ephesians 4 says it's caused by the false teachers in their teaching, in their trickery, in their deception... And as Peter concludes, as he talks about false teachers in 2 Peter 3.17, he says, you need to be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. So you see how serious this is? When he tells you to watch yourself, guard yourself. One of the reasons why he says to do that, because if you don't, you're going to lose your reward. But another reason why you need to do this is because of these deceivers. And again, the context and the background to this letter is the itinerant preachers traveling around. And by the way, everybody knew who they were and everybody knew what they taught. And for you to ignore that and let them in your house and give them a meal and give them a place to stay, you will lose your reward. Says it right there. And reason why it says guard yourself, because of that desire to be compassionate to a person who has a need. We are to be compassionate to people. We don't always know what their needs are or their situation. We've all been hit at the gas pump or I was walking somewhere the other day and I just kinda kinda nodded my head and like saying, Hey, I think I was in Sam's. And the guy stopped me when I did that. Like, should I not have done that? <laughs> and he stopped me again, you know, and asked me for some money. So I gave him a $5 bill and a million-dollar bill. And I said, I'll give you this $5 if you read this million dollars, and I'm going to stand here and wait for you to read it. <laughs> I wanted him to read the track, <laughs> you know. He wanted the 5 bucks, you know. Cost him 5 bucks to read the track. So he did. And then I, no, that was Home Depot. And then I watched him roll away. And I saw him talking to somebody else. You can't control all of that. And you don't know if the stories are real or legit. Most of them aren't legit. People that stand there pedaling at the uh, stop sign when you're getting off the highway. And by the way, Florida is uh, right now dealing with a law making it where it's illegal to do that. It, I thought it already was because I was up at another place one day and there was a lady out there doing it and a police car just happened to ride over in the area and she took off running. Either she knew she wasn't supposed to be doing that, or maybe she was wanted by the police, <laughs> you know? So the first thing you have to do is watch yourself. Don't be misled by them. Don't be sympathetic to their need for a place to stay. Guard yourself. The second thing you need to do in discerning false teachers is you've got to evaluate what is taught. What is taught. See, that's what makes someone a true teacher or a false teacher. You've got to examine what they're teaching. And, and I believe it's very helpful when you find out what people believe. You know, before the Internet came along, and uh, when I was in seminary, and, you know, one of the things we have to do is sometimes visit different churches for different reasons. And uh, I remember when I would visit a church, regardless, first thing that I'd ask for when I got there is do you have a copy of the statement of what you teach? And most of the time, they had something readily available. 
then they could give that to you. And I would attend the service, and then I'd go home, and I'd read the statement of what, we, what they taught. And, but today, you don't have to do all that. You know, today, you can, you can go to their website. Most churches have a website, and you can pull up a statement of what they believe. So if they have video or audio, you can listen to the sermon. You can watch the service. You can do all these things that are helpful before you even walk in the door. So we do have somewhat of an advantage. And I would just have to say this, that most itinerant preachers have a website. Most of them have recordings of their preaching. Same is true of churches. So if you just want to know something about a person or about a church, about a preacher, you can Google their name or put some more information in there about them and pull that up. Uh, the lesser known might be a little bit more difficult to do this. Might have to dig a little further into this. But the point is, is that you're doing your homework. You're trying to understand something about this person and what they're teaching and what they believe. You know, most people that follow some of these TBN preachers don't know what these guys are believing or teaching. And I find it amazing. And, and I don't know if... I don't know, it just seems like something that we should automatically be doing. It's not just something that I do because I'm a preacher, but it should be something that all of us are doing. Because you don't want to just take in everything you hear. You have to examine it. And, and, and I'll tell you this today, and I've said it many times before, but I'll say it again. Examine what I'm saying up here. I'll give you a copy of my notes. In fact, they're already on the website. Go to the website. They're right there. You can print what I'm looking at right here. As quotes, footnotes, as the verses, as the breakdown of the verses, as all these different terms that I'm using, it's all there. Recording will be up there after the service. You can pull the recording up, listen to the sermon again, follow it with the notes. It's not hard to do. I mean, we've done everything possible to accommodate. Not for the purpose to show that we're real and we're true and we're biblical and so forth, but to teach the Word of God and to do it in an expositional way so that you can grow. See, when you look in and examine these deceivers that John is dealing with, they did not continue in the teaching of Christ. Look at verse 9. He says, Anyone who goes too far or runs ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. What's the teachings of Christ? I got asking that question. I did a lot of research on that. In fact, that's the only time that that phrase is used anywhere in the Bible. It's right here. 2 John, verse 9. And I just kept meditating on that, and I was thinking, Lord, what does that mean? I mean, I can, I can go and just study the teachings of Christ and... But is there something specific here? And it's very specific because it backs you to verse 7. What's, what's the teachings of Christ? He came in the flesh. His incarnation. And I wouldn't just say just His incarnation because you know what's tied to His incarnation? His deity. I'll give you some verses. You might want to jot these down. John 1.1 in the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John also said in 1 John, What we have from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, concerning the Word of life. The life was manifested, we have seen, testified, proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested or made visible to us. And what we have seen and heard we're proclaiming to you that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And there John in his first letter, he's talking about this Word becoming flesh. But let me show you some other places where the deity and incarnation or the deity and humanity are used together, like 1 John 5.20. And we know that the Son of God has come. There's His humanity. He has given us an understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true, in His Son. Again, Son talks about the incarnation. In His Son, Jesus Christ. And here is the deity part. This is the true God and eternal life. I'll give you some other verses. Matthew one twenty three. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. There's His humanity. And they shall call His name Emmanuel. There's His deity, which is translated God with us. 1 Timothy 3.16 By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested, or God was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. Very clear on His humanity, right? See, the Gnostics didn't believe it. They had their own brand of knowledge, their own brand of superior knowledge. That only they and a select few had. Only a select few had this or knew this. I was reading something a couple of weeks ago. I thought it very interesting that Gnostic teachings are apparent today. And they've even influenced seminaries. I found that very interesting, especially when I saw one of the seminaries mentioned, Biola University. I was shocked. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and many ways, in these last days He's spoken to us in His Son. There's the humanity. By whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. There's His deity. J.I. Packer says, Trinity and Incarnation belong together. The doctrine of the Trinity declares that the man Jesus is truly divine. That of the Incarnation declares that the divine Jesus is truly human. You know, the teachings of Christ, it also includes the teaching about sin. John mentions sin 45 times in 1 John. Just a few of them are right here. 1 John 1, 6, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Right? Why did he write that? Because the Gnostics, that's what they were doing. They said they had fellowship with God, but their lives were indicating a life of darkness. He says, you're liars. You know, last week I talked about mentioning names. 
And I've already mentioned a few. This week, I would say, John is being very bold right here. This is almost kind of like Paul in Peter's face. When Peter played the hypocrite, he says, I told him to his face. You remember? One minute he's eating with the Gentiles, and then those of the circumcision, the Jews of the circumcision come, and what's he do? He withdraws. He says, Peter, you are a hypocrite. Said it to his face. 1 John 1.8, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. The Gnostics believed that matter was evil. That's why they didn't believe Jesus came in the flesh or had a physical body because that would be evil. And they believed the Christ, the anointing came upon Him prior to His death on the cross. It left. See, he's writing these things because this is what they taught. This is what they were advocating. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or 1 John 1, 10, If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. See, all that, that's mentioning of sin. You had this group that was the if-we-sayers, and they denied sin. They denied the presence of it. They denied that they even sinned. And that's why John says, if you say that you have not sinned, then you're making God a liar. Because God says you have. That's why in verse 9, when it says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's why John uses that Greek word, homilegeo, that I've been mentioning to you, which means to say the same thing. When you confess your sin, you're saying the same thing God says about your sin. But if you're not willing to confess it, you're not saying the same thing He says about it, you're denying it and you're calling Him a liar. You just called the Creator God a liar. And Titus 1-2 says God cannot lie. 1 John 2, 1 and 2 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. See, sin is part of the teaching of Christ. And what's happening to the church today? The church doesn't want to talk about sin because they're worried about offending people. Quit worrying about offending people and worry about offending God. If you don't want to talk about sin, you want to deny its presence, you're not a believer. What are you forgiven of if you're not willing to talk about it? Joel Osteen will not talk about sin. He was interviewed on Larry King and would not talk about it. Couldn't even tell people how to be saved. He's got the largest church, one of the largest churches in America. Can't tell someone how to be saved. And he's on national TV. 
a great opportunity to tell the world how to be saved and won't talk about sin. If you're not going to talk about sin, you can't talk about the cross. You can't talk about why Jesus went there and what He did on the cross. You're not going to talk about sin. you got other churches with their little 20-minute sermons and their tight jeans and sissy haircuts and... I have more to say about that. But I won't say it. I've said enough. It's changed. The church has changed in a bad way. Very bad way. John also mentions the subject of sin in 3 John, verse 11. He says, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. And the one who does good is of God, and the one who does evil has not seen God. But you know what's going on today? Our elected leaders, and not just them alone, but they're calling evil good and good evil. And they're prosecuting, they're prosecuting those who are doing good because they don't believe their worldview. And they don't want their worldview being made known because that's dangerous to their democracy. I guess you heard that the other day, what Biden did. And that's just where our country has went. Beloved, if you want to understand something, we are in a state of abandonment right now from God. That's where our country is, in a state of abandonment. What, what marks our society today is a sexual revolution. And you read Romans chapter 1, and that right there is where God abandons you. I thought it was very interesting the CDC wanted to rename monkeypox because monkeypox is associated with the homosexual community and they felt it discriminated against the homosexual community so they want to call it something else. You know, if you're going to engage in these wicked acts, there are consequences. AIDS is a consequence of that too. I know that there's people that are not in that community have gotten AIDS, but it does spread I wish I had two hours to talk and then I could finish this message today. But I don't think it's going to happen. So we'll just stop right here. Beloved, we need, we need to get the message of Second John right here. False teachers are so dangerous. We need to understand that. We need to identify who they are and stay away from them and warn others of them too. But even more than that, you need to make sure that you're guarding yourself. And one of the ways you can guard yourself that I didn't mention is by preaching the gospel. Preach that gospel that's right here in the scriptures and live it. The reformers would say it this way. Preach the gospel every day to yourself. Every day. Remind yourself of what the scriptures teach about the gospel, the good news. And be reminded that it was bad news to you, 
you're under the condemnation of God because your deeds were evil and your refusal to believe. So much more to say. So watch yourself. That's how you discern a false teacher and evaluate what is taught by these false teachers. And beloved, you don't have to go listen to them to evaluate what they're teaching necessarily, especially if you know that they're false teachers. It's very easy to, to pick up on it in a few phrases, few statements that they're being, that's being made or that they're writing about. But I'll tell you, if you've got a guy telling you that his church, they need to give him, what was it, $8 million or God was going to kill him? Remember that? I'd be afraid to say something like that. I remember one time we went with somebody to a charismatic church, and understand this, uh, my background is charismatic, but only for a few months because the brother that led me to Christ was a charismatic, and he took me to his church, which is what you normally do. And just over time of being there, I had an older brother in the Lord set me straight, and I came out of that whole thing. But I remember Teresa and I, went with somebody to listen to this speaker. Little did I know anything about him, but I was only there about 10 minutes. And I said, we're leaving. Because he was making demands of God. He was telling God what to do. I said, baby, let's leave. I don't want to get hit by the shrapnel when God sends the judgment. <laughs> you know, and we got out of there. Never been back. Never will go back. Never have a desire to go back. You know, I'm not like some of these guys, Justin Peters, who's been to Benny Hinn Crusades, a bunch of them, because he's an apologist and he's confronting stuff like that and he's talked to them and confronted their heresy. Some of these false teachers know they're false teachers. And I was just reading on his website an article he wrote and he personally believes Benny Hinn knows that he is a false teacher and purposely deceives people. And he has the proof. Some of them, maybe not. Another one was Kenneth Copeland. Knows he's a false teacher. By the way, Kenneth Copeland didn't get rid of the COVID, did he? Well, beloved, again, we've got to be careful. We've got to make sure that our beliefs come from the Bible. We understand the Bible, which means we have to study the Bible, be diligent as we handle it accurately, make sure that we're holding it up that way. Father, I thank you for this time that we've had together. I, I hate that we have to cut it off right here. But, Lord, we'll accept that as part of your providence. And I just pray for each person in here that, uh, number one, they'll be back next week so we can conclude this time. But but just more important than that, it would just drive them to the Scripture. And the only reason why we're naming anybody is just to warn your people about these people that are dangerous, that are false teachers, that do teach heretical doctrine. So, Father, I pray that we will watch ourselves, examine ourselves, and even do that right now. It's so easy to go to church and be caught up into everything and not even have a relationship with you. 
but to study about you and study about the Bible, but not really know the truth. I pray, God, that you would transform that person's heart this morning. That person that has not made that commitment to you yet. Yeah, they know some facts about you, facts about your word, but they have not taken them to heart. I pray today, Lord, that you would transform their lives, that you would save them. We thank you for the work of Christ, the completed work of Christ that was done on our behalf. And we worship you for that, Lord God. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for each person you brought here today. And we thank you for the opportunity to get